to the Attractions Group Podcast. I'm Don Helbig. I'm joined by Ryan Sir. This is episode four for us. Uh, we want to remind everyone to follow us on Twitter, at Attractions underscore GRP. That's on Twitter. And subscribe to us on YouTube. Once we have enough subscribers, Ryan and I, we're going to start doing Q&As live on YouTube. Really looking forward to that time when it gets here. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that as well. I mean, we can do some live Q&As on YouTube. So make sure you subscribe, just subscribe on there. Just look for the Attractions Group Podcast. Um, and then subscribe through your favorite podcast app, whether it's Apple or Android or whatever your forte is, uh, and then you can stay up to date. Um, but besides that, Don, you have an anniversary today. Tell us about your anniversary. It's not a wedding anniversary, but it's something else. No, not a wedding anniversary, but uh, uh, you know, 40 years ago today, it was July 7th, 1982, I took my 2000th ride on the race to roller coaster. Uh, at the time, I was a record for the most most non-consecutive rides on the race, and what that means is I had to get off the ride, get right back in line, and uh, do it again, but not stay on the coaster uh, to have that record. But uh, something, uh, you know, a lot of uh, attention started to come about around that time. The year before, I hit the 1,000th ride on the race, or I was trying to get a one-day record, uh, which evolved into what it became. You know, when you go there every day and you're, you're falling short of that one-day record, you're still adding up on the numbers. So uh, the 1,000th ride happened the year before. It was so much fun. I thought I'd come back in 1982. And, uh, you know, continue what I was doing. And I hit the 2000th ride on this date 40 years ago. Well, congratulations on a 40-year anniversary on that. Now, um, I know that Ruth Voss, the former PR for Kings Island, marketed it as a friendly rivalry between you and Carl Eichelman, who was riding the Beast doing a similar operation. Um, how much of that was true and how much of that was something that was just for the papers? Well, you know, it really was a friendly rivalry. I met Carl the year before 1981 as he was getting close to 2,000 rides on the Beast. And uh, thought it was kind of neat, kind of cool what I was doing on the race. I don't think he thought I'd, you know, sustain what I was doing. A lot of people, you know, try to do things like this and, you know, they do it for three or four days and then they're done. Uh, so I don't think he thought what I was doing I was going to sustain and keep going and eventually pass him up, uh, you know, which is what happened. But uh you know, I mean, it was fun. It's, it was a nice media story to say that Kings Island had these two people that visit the same theme park every single day uh, to ride these roller coasters. And, uh, you know, it was fun for the park. Got a lot of exposure out of it. It was fun for Carl and I. Well, that's cool. Well, congratulations once again. Um, but we're here to talk about, not you this time, we're talking about the theme park industry. Don, what are we talking about today? Well, today we're going to talk about going cashless, and you're seeing more and more parks do this. It seems like every day there's another story of another park doing it. i got to tell you, Ryan, for me, uh, the first time I heard about this concept uh, was uh, late in 2018. The Tampa Bay Rays had announced uh, that they were going to go cashless for the 2019 season. Very innovative organization. So I, I was intrigued, and I was just fascinated by what they were, were thinking of doing and how that was going to work and what the gain would be for me as a fan going to their games in terms of wait times, uh, you know, uh, between innings and things like that. And, uh, you know, I wondered if it was going to evolve eventually to our industry, and it has. Absolutely. Hey, so what are the benefits, you know, surface-level benefits of going cashless? Well, I mean, you know, when you're talking about uh, going cashless, I, I, there's a net gain majority of the guests going to a park when you're in a, a cashless environment. Uh, you know, removing the use of uh, cash, it speeds up the transaction at the food and beverage locations. Uh, the stores, it really just makes a better, uh, you know, uh, experience for the guest. You know, you're able to get your food a lot quicker, uh, you know, and, and for the park, there's a big gain there too as well uh, that comes with, with doing that, um, you know, counting. It, it's more comfortable, more manageable for the park. Uh, it's more cost effective in the long run. Uh, so there's a gain really. I mean, for the park, there's a gain for the guests. It's just a better overall experience. And, uh, you know, I think you're going to see more and more of this as, as we go further and further. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't doubt that there's definitely a gain, especially for the park, because it seems like, you know, when it comes to, um, you know, the speed of the transaction, transaction time is definitely something that's a consideration and cards are almost always faster than cash. Um, not many people are carrying cash nowadays. Uh, so it seems like it affects less and less people like every year. Do, would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, it does. Uh, you know, before a park would do that, you know, they obviously have the metrics, the analytics that tells them what percentage of the transactions are cash, what percentage are 
uh, credit card, debit cards, uh, you know, some some mobile device app, you know, whether it's Apple Pay, Google Pay, those kind of things. You have that information armed with that, so you know what the percentage is before you shift to a cashless situation. So, I mean, top of your head, what percentage of sales would be cash? Uh, like, at what point would you say that it's time to switch to cashless? Like, where would you put the benefit if you were gonna, if you were the decision maker in this particular process? Well, I think you don't have to just look at your own part too. You can look across, you know, America. How many people, you know, what their what their spending habits are and how they're doing it. Um, so you're probably now at a time where you know 75, 80 percent are uh, doing it not cash, you know, not with cash. You know, they're using their Apple Pay, their Google Pay, they're using their debit cards. Um, so for most, it's a pretty seamless transition. Not something that they have to adjust. To. Awesome. Do you think that there's um, obviously you know, the thing that's going to come to mind for some people is that it's possible that people could, uh, uh, it could deter sales where someone wants to buy something, but they only have cash. We'll talk about solutions for that later. But do you think that there, there's any way that going cashless actually encourages sales? I think it, uh, it just makes it easier for everybody. You know, you don't have to be carrying cash with you. I think it, uh, you know, you're going to find in time if you're going cashless as a, as a, as a part that, you're going to see that you're, you're selling more. You know, it's, it's a lot easier. Somebody's not counting the money in their, in their wallet or they're out of money. You know, you just, it's just, you have the card, you're going to use it, right? You have Apple Pay, you're going to use it. You have Google Pay, you're going to use it. It's going to increase your, uh, you know, your sales throughout the day and obviously throughout the year there when you do that. But, um, you know, more and more people are just used to it now. And, and uh, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's really working well across the board of all the different, uh, you know, parks that I know that are, um, have gone cashless, uh, sports teams that have gone cashless. Uh, I go to a lot of Cincinnati Reds games. You know, they've gone cashless, talking to people with the Reds. Uh, you know, they feel that it's increased uh, the wait time by, you know, 40, 50 percent, you know, at the uh, Great American Ballpark. And I can't argue that because when I've got up, you know, between innings to go get something to eat or drink, uh, you know, I'm back in my seat. I'm not missing an inning or two waiting in line for food anymore like I used to. So it's definitely paying off there as well. And, and we're seeing that in the amusement theme park industry as well, too, where uh, lines are moving much, much quicker. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I agree with you there. And plus, it seems like chain wide in some instances, um, there's always a guinea pig park that goes cashless and um, the others seem to follow. So I, if it didn't work, obviously it wouldn't spread, you know, and it probably wouldn't. Um, you know, stay with one park even. Um, so, you know, with that being said, though, you know, what would you, if a park was going to go cashless, how, what would you warn them about the drawbacks of going cashless? Like, what are the, some of the things you need to overcome when, when you're going cashless? Well, the biggest thing is just communication, making sure, uh, you know, your guests understand that you have gone cashless. Uh, also, to explain how it works if you aren't, you know, somebody that really wants to carry around a credit card, you know, you've done cash everywhere you've gone, how to make it work for you. You know, there are those kiosks at the park. So it's not like if you only have cash, you're out of luck. You can't spend any money at the park. You come in, uh, there's the machines that, uh, you know, you put the money in and you get a card. So you take the cash to card and that can be used throughout the park. And that also typically carries over too. So if you didn't use, let's say you put in $50, you didn't use it all today, you have what's left over for your next visit to use. Yeah. When I was a kid, I was, you know, uh, my parents would give me $10 and drop me off at the front gate. Uh, nowadays parents probably do the same, but I, I suppose that the kids could just feed the money into the machine and then get a card out. Um, but what are some of the things that a park can do to prepare to go cashless if it's the plan in the next year or so? Well, you have to spread the word in advance about cashless payments, understand Yes, payment preferences. Uh, you got to create a secure framework for the cashless transaction. Uh, you know, just make sure you cover all your bases. Uh, you know, with the different payment options that are out there, and make sure that understand that all they have to do is, you know, they can swipe a credit card, a debit card, a smart phone device with Apple Pay or Google Pay. Uh, you know, where you normally use cash, and uh, also that at the kiosk. And you just got to make sure that you're communicating how it works, you know, just so everybody's, because there's normally that, you know, that knee jerk reaction that I only have cash, I can't go there anymore. And that's not the case at all. 
Um, we've actually made it easier for you in the industry now with all these parts that are going cash. All you have to do is just, again, just insert that money into the machine and you get that, you know, cash to card. Um, you know, it's safe, it's secure, it's, it's fast, it's more efficient. Uh, you're going to spend less time, you know, waiting in line at the, the, and the merchandise at the, you know, at the ticket windows. I mean, it's just a win-win for everybody across the board. You just have to understand that you're not out of luck if you do not have a credit card and all you do is spend cash everywhere. You can still do it, but in a different way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can absolutely still spend money. And I mean, like like I said, we're converting the cards now with the machines in the front of the park or throughout the parks and so on. Um, what do you think are some of the best ways to inform your uh, the 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 guests ahead of time that they're cashless, especially like, you know, in the weeks leading into it, where it comes down to crunch time, you know, say 14 days out, if you want to let people know that, Hey, you know, starting in uh, two weeks from Monday, we're not going to be taking cash anymore. What are some of the best avenues to do that? Some of the best avenues are your newsletter. Uh, that's the best way to, uh, you know, reach your, your audience is still through email. You know, you have all these different things that have come about, uh, you know, over the years, but email still, you know, a very efficient way to communicate to your guests. Probably the best way still, there's the mobile device. You know, you can do text messaging. You can do mobile messaging, um, out-of-venue messages, those kind of things as well. You want to make sure your website, uh, it's a prominent area. If someone's visiting the website, one of the first things they see is that wordless, uh, so that that is out there. And you also, you know, when you do something like that, it's, it's major news. You know, you're changing something that you've always had. So uh, you're going to have that earned media aspect as well where the tvs the newspapers the radio stations they're all going to be talking about at this part you know this is now the way they're going it's going to be cashless and here's what you have to do so there's a lot of ways to, to do it you just got to make sure you do it take advantage of all those avenues to communicate so uh in your experience both professionally and personally would you say that the reaction to going cashless has been pretty positive yeah after after uh you know a guest experiences it whether it's you know at a theme park or a sporting event absolutely I mean, they really they really see that it's you know it's fast it's easy it's secure um you know less time i mean who wants to wait in line right so if you're saving time in line um, you know that's a win for everybody so yeah my conversations you know both the, the theme park goer the, the sports fan uh you know now that they're they're becoming accustomed to it they love it yeah, I mean, I, I remember when you guys announced it, uh, you know, for a park that you work for, you were like, you're, you're, I know you're going to love it because I hate waiting in line. I hate cash. I hate waiting for somebody to count cash. I hate carrying cash. I hate everything about cash, except for having like a lot of it in the bank digitally, you know? Yeah, I mean, I mean, think back to the days. I mean, I was always, you know, in line behind the person. You would go up to the counter and they would say they're meal was like $16 and 79 cents. And they'd be like, Oh, 79. And then they would have to start digging in their pocket. I got the 79, you know, and they're spending three or four minutes trying to find the change and the pennies and count it down. And, you know, that's just taking time out of everybody's day. Right. So, uh, you're just really, it, it, it really, um, just adds to the guest experience when you can move through the lines a lot quicker by having a cashless operation. Well, yeah. And plus, you know, through no fault of their own, I would say the average 16, 17, 18 year old kid nowadays probably doesn't have a lot of experience counting cash simply because it's not used. My first job when I was 15 years old was at McDonald's as a cashier and we did not take cards. We were cash only. And that was standard you know, across the board for, for most of the franchises for McDonald's. So I was able to count cash very quickly, but I don't think that's a skill that kids nowadays develop simply because they're just not exposed to it. So if one in every, you know, 30 transactions is cash, of course it's going to be slow, but it's also going to be a transaction that takes, you know, five or six times longer than a normal transaction. Would you agree with that? Yeah. And the other, you know, piece of that is not only, you know, the counting the cash and that, um, uh, like I said, there is a skill to that is the, you know, you, you're going to, if you're busy, you're going to run out of ones, you know, things like that. So you have to wait for someone to bring another, you know, the ones to you or, you know, somebody's just chef change. They're counting out the drawer and things right in the middle of you know, the, the lunch hour or something. So uh, just, uh, just a great thing across the board. You know, it's a great for associates, you know, working the registers. It's great for the guests. Um, you know, there's no downside to it to me. I just, but you do know whenever there's change, you know, that uh, there's always some initial resistance to it until someone experiences the new format. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Um, I would say that, uh, 
you know, there's 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 so many positives to it. Um, in some instances, though, you've got to do it in a manner that's not uh, that's not insane. Like I know that a park that I uh, I go to regularly, uh, they initially had a system when they went cashless for the midway games where. You know, if you walk up to an associate and say, like, okay, I want to play the basketball game, they direct you to a kiosk to buy a card and then turn around and give the card back to them. Since then, it seems like that's changed um, in which you can, okay, I want to play. Okay, that's $10, and you swipe the card right there. So it seems like there there are some certain growing pains involved, and there's some learning points that could certainly be addressed. But uh, what would you say in your experience are some of the things um, that you've learned about going cashless that you didn't know when uh, when uh, it initially came to fruition? I think for me, it was just how quickly everybody accepted it, you know, because again, you always have that initial pushback when you make a change to to tradition, what everyone's always done, even though they, you know, 70, 80% were already always spending, you know, uh, the spending was done with a debit card, or Google Pay, Apple Pay, those kind of things. So for me, I think it's how quickly everyone adapted to it. And now it's just the way of life when they go, you know, to a theme park or a sporting event or wherever else they go that that's in place. Okay. So we talked about the digital kiosks and how um, little Billy can drop $20 into the machine and get a card. Um, is, do you have any other thoughts on objections that parents might have with uh, going cashless if their kids are there and, you know, they don't want to give the kid a credit card or like, do you have any words of advice or any thoughts on that? I think a lot of that, you know, it starts again with the, the part, you know, they have to make sure that that information is communicated. So there's no surprise when, when a guest gets to the part, you know, they understand it's cashless here. Uh, I, I think just making sure that the parent knows that you can still give them cash and they can turn that cash into a card. And I think for parents too, as, as we get deeper into this, uh, they're more comfortable, you know, with this card because you know their kids not going to lose the money money somewhere in the park you know, on a ride or just you know leave it on a table or something when they're eating and those kind of things so it's a little easier for uh, you know their kids to demand the day yeah I don't disagree with that like like I said I was always dropped off at the park with ten dollars and I would come back with zero because I would spend six and lose four so um, ultimately I think that if it had gone cashless and I had the situation, I'd be sitting on a lot more money from when I was 13 or 14 years old. Um, so Don, you know, we, we talked about several aspects of this. We talked about using credit cards, debit cards, uh, Apple pay, Google pay, like the, the tap payments. Um, where do you see the future of purchasing at theme parks? Like I, obviously this is where it is now. And I think the, the immediate future is the contactless payments such as Apple Pay and Google Pay. Mm -hmm. um, if if you were going to say that there was going to be something that was next after this, maybe five or 10 years from now, you know, be creative and tell me, wh where do you think it would go? Well, I think, you know, for me, it, it's still going to come down to the, just the technology that's going to be available after that next uh, Apple Pay, that next Google Pay. So I think what's next in line there is the way it's going to go. Now, at the same time, you know, as, as more and more parks are, going cashless you got to remember too there's a number of parks out there that they cannot go cashless because they are still under the you know page you go for the attraction type of a of an operation you know you might get admissions free but you got to pay if you want to ride the roller coaster you got to pay if you want to ride the carousel you know those kind of things those parks they can't go cashless so uh, i think you're not it's not that it's going to become every park doing it because that some of them can't well, I disagree, Don. I, I don't I don't think that those parks couldn't go cashless because what do you do? You go up to the booth and you buy tickets. I mean, who cares how you spend the money? You know, you're not handing a ride operator $5 to ride the roller coaster. You know, you're handing them tickets. So I think at the initial transaction point, you could do that. In addition to that, you could, you could take a note off of like um, arcade games and you could, uh, you know, have a card that has tickets on it and it's got a declining balance that you would swipe uh, actually at the rise. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I think what you're looking at is, I mean, yeah, you could do that to where they, you know, would go up to a booth and buy an X number of tickets or something like that. Uh, but a lot of those kind of parks, they don't have the technology. 
uh, to do that. I mean, they're old school. They're still counting tickets out of buckets and things like that. So uh, they would have a long way to go to catch up to be able to, to implement all that kind of technology across the board in their parks at the registers and at the ticket booths and everything else. So it's not as simple as just we're going cashless. Let's do it now like this. Um, there's just so much more involved in those smaller parks that, you know, the, the pay-as-you-go attractions. Uh, you know, let's look at Knobles, for example. I mean, that's one of the ones that, you know, they're still, uh, you know, it's, you can still use cash there. Um, and I think that's going to be there for the long run just because of the infrastructure that's in place. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't disagree with that. Um, I, I, But I don't think that the cashless conversation would necessarily be a priority for a park like that. Uh, I, I think that it's more for larger operations because... Yeah, big operations. Yeah, you're going to see, you know, that and like not only the theme park industry, but we're seeing it now in sports. We're starting to see that at uh, you know theaters, you know, around the movie theaters, uh, Broadway plays, things like that, where it is now uh, becoming you know more and more cashless operation at those places as well. Yeah, I mean, I I, I agree. Um, but my my thought is this: you know, when we talk about Knobles and it's a park that you know that that's owned by one family and they own one park. Um, if they can save two percent on the bottom line by going cashless, uh, I I don't necessarily think that the omitted sales would offset that the way that they would with a Cedar Fair, Six Flags, SeaWorld, Disney. Do you? I agree with you there. Yeah, I mean that's just uh, that's that's yeah, my thought. Yeah, the bigger the bigger parks. Yeah, much more cost effective in the long run, you know, for the bigger change. Yeah, and now if, if I had to make a prediction on, um, you know, the future of purchasing, I think that uh, in a, for a lot of parks, since uh, season pass sales are, are what's driven for more and more parks every year, I think that having a declining balance attached to your season pass is going to be uh, something that's, that's considered, uh, especially because if, you know, a kid's six or seven years old, the parents can add a balance to the card and send them to the park. Um, rather than sending them in cash and having them work with a reverse ATM, putting money onto a card. So that's something where technology, the technology is certainly there, but uh, the technology would also have to, uh, you know, to service that sort of thing. Um, but it works for Starbucks, so it should work for the parks, right? Yeah, no. Ryan, I want to ask you a question. What's your uh, like payment method? What do you prefer, uh, you know, using debit cards, credit cards, uh, Google Pay? What do you do? So for me, honestly, I, I'm kind of unique, but I think there's going to be more and more people like me uh, as time goes on. And I use Apple Pay and I actually make purchasing decisions based on whether or not a place takes Apple Pay. Um, I keep uh, I don't I'm not going to tell you where I keep my credit cards and stuff, obviously, because that'd be pretty public information. But I don't carry them on me. I don't carry a wallet or anything like that. Um, I just have my phone and my, my watch. Um, so if I have a choice between two places and one takes Apple pay and one does not, I will choose the place that takes Apple pay. Uh, likewise, um, it's funny because, you know, when we were talking about the perfect mobile app, I might've brought this up, but when, um, one of the places that I order from food wise, uh, through mobile app more often than any other place is Chipotle. And it's not this just that their food is delicious. It's also the fact that, you know, the, the ordering process is streamlined and I can use Apple Pay and not have to enter a credit card and stuff. So um, when parks go cashless, if they also take Apple Pay, which most of them do nowadays, it's becoming a standard. Um, that's that's perfect for me. I, I really I really like that because I, it's so much faster and I don't have to carry stuff. You ever use touch payments, Don, or do you, are you a credit debit card kind of guy? I am mostly the, the debit card, uh, but I've gotten uh, to the point to where more and more of my transactions are being done now through Apple Pay. Uh, you know, I'm like you, if they take Apple Pay, I'm more inclined uh, to do yeah, that. Yeah, I didn't know you took Apple or that you used Apple Pay. That's kind of impressive for somebody of your wisdom. <laughs> That's a nice way to say <laughs> with age, but no, no, I mean, it, you know, you evolve with the times. That's, uh, you know, you got to do that, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, in, in your position, you know, of employment or, you know, just the technology now that's out there with, with uh, smartphones and things, you got to evolve with the times. And, uh, you know, it's actually pretty cool to use Apple Pay. You know, I, I you know, it makes it easy. Like you said, it's very, very easy to do. Well, one thing, I, and I'm not going to get in too far into the weeds with this because I'm not an expert, but one thing I do know is that for merchants specifically, um, fraud cases cost them a lot of money. So for example, if somebody bought uh, a bunch of games and stuff, uh, and then the person turned around and said like, 
this $70 I don't recognize, I didn't spend this money, and my card number must have been stolen. A lot of times the merchants have to eat that. So from, you know, if you're on the corporate side of things, like the, the producer side of things, the Apple Pay and the Samsung Pay, the, the contactless payments are so much harder to fake. Um, you, you almost can't do uh, like the skimmers like they used to do with gas pumps and stuff. Uh, it, from my, my understanding, and this is an unqualified, you know, summary of how it works is when you tap your iPhone, it creates a one time token which communicates with the MasterCard, Visa, American Express, and so on network. Mm -hmm. um, that can only be used for that one transaction, so it can't be intercepted in between. So that could be a cost saver too. I, I know that uh, like most people renew their merchant services every couple of years. And, you know, if you don't have, you know, the tap payments, you're going to have it because it's going to be essentially required by your merchant services people. But that's one of the huge advantages is it, it theoretically should cut down on... Um, you know, fraud cases and stuff. Do you agree with that? I agree with that. Absolutely. Uh, but you've heard enough from Ryan and I, what we think about cashless. Now we'd like to hear from you. Tweet us at attractions underscore GRP on Twitter and let us know how you feel about the trend in the industry of parks going cashless. Yeah, specifically, let us know if uh, you're for it or against it. And furthermore, do you feel like you spend more or less money in parks as a result of parks going cashless? So attractions underscore GRP would be a great way to get a hold of us. So Don, it's time for the news. The first news article is not one that you have mentioned before, but I got my own Hawaiian shirt this time. Did you even notice? You do. You do. That is impressive. Uh, you know, it'll change your life. They're so comfortable. It's just the way to yeah, go. it is. It is pretty comfortable. Uh, I, I actually stopped at Kohl's immediately before we um, did this podcast. Uh, I I know uh, one time when we were talking a couple weeks ago after recording, your wife said, "Go to Kohl's. They've got the best deal." I got this for twenty five dollars. Uh, I you know so far so good. Uh, the problem though is if we get famous off this podcast, they're going to expect us to wear these when we do our autograph signings and pose for photos and so on. So. Um, uh, I guess we're stuck yeah, with the Hawaiian. My everyday wardrobe. Yeah, everyday at work. Uh, I, I'm gonna have one of these types of shirts on. They're just so comfortable. Uh, I really started. I guess maybe about ten years ago uh, was when I first started wearing them. And you know now I, I you know, I'm not gonna wear the t-shirts or the you know the collared shirts, those kind of things, the polo shirts. Uh, you know I'm gonna wear these kind of shirts around. But I think you're gonna find it's gonna change your life, and I'm gonna. Uh, I'm sure I'm going to be seeing you roaming around at different parks and things, uh, wearing, you know, wearing these Hawaiian shirts as well. Well, I think for me, the main thing about the Hawaiian shirts is they're, they're light and airy, and that's very important, obviously, you know, for summertime individuals like us. But the fact that when somebody looks at you while you're wearing a Hawaiian shirt just tells them that you are here for a good time. And I really want to put that message out, don't you? Yeah, on that. Uh, I mean, it's all about having fun, right? That, that's true. I mean, uh, if anybody knows me outside of the podcast, they know that I am the most fun individual that they've ever met. And I'm saying that without prejudice and without arrogance whatsoever. I really am the most fun individual you can meet. Well, I can tell you, you know, Ryan and I have gone on a couple of different road trips, you know, St. Louis to see the St. Louis Blues play. Uh, you know, we've gone to a couple of parks and that. Uh, he has a good time. He has a lot of fun away from the podcast. Yeah, at the podcast, I'm a drag, but outside of the podcast, I'm a lot of fun. But anyway, uh, <laughs> so now on to uh, the next segment, which we decided, by the way, uh, retrospectively, is we're going to call this Pick 6, where we choose uh, six news items from the industry that we think are particularly exciting that we're going to discuss, uh, very similar to what we've been doing in the past. But Don, I'm going to let you take the first one, number one of six. All right, construction of Orlando's Epic Universe ramps up. In Epic Universe, it'll feature a new theme park, uh, an entertainment center. Uh, there'll be hotels, shops, restaurants, and more. It'll be located on a 750-acre site uh, that nearly doubles Universal's total acreage in Central Florida. That's so exciting. I've got friends that work for Universal and they're all excited about it. Uh, that's going to have that Super Nintendo world that we discussed last week. Um, I, I, I'm particularly excited about this because I, I, I go to Orlando often. You do too. So this is definitely a park that we're going to see. Every time you think there's no more room to expand in Central Florida, 
something like this happen. Well, yeah, and you can make that argument about, um, you know, what's that city in the UAE that uh, that builds their own islands? Um, Dubai. You know, if they run out of land, they just yeah. build more land. I, I like that attitude, don't you? <laughs> awesome. Okay, so uh, the next news article is, uh, this is actually a patent from Disney. Uh, Disney actually patented a locker system that travels with you. Uh, if you guys are watching on the uh, the YouTube app, you're, you're seeing a, the patent right now. This is from WDW News Today. Uh, Disney Walt Disney Company has filed a patent for robotic Sherpa. Described as a mobile locker allowing guests to access their stored items whenever they want without having to carry them. So if you're listening to the audio-only podcast, uh, the, the the patent actually is like a little robot. You can put your stuff in it. It's got wheels, and presumably it follows you around. Uh, Don, thoughts? I mean, it's a cool concept. Um, yeah, I mean, I... I, I... I mean, the technology is there to do it. So, uh, you know, it'd be interesting to see uh, if, you know, if this comes to life here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, the locker thing has always intrigued me um, because it seems like the solution is getting there for, for me selfishly, but it's not quite entirely there yet. So um, one thing that, uh, that, you know, if you visit a park like regularly, um, you know, you start to have personal needs and that's not gross like it sounds but you start having personal needs in terms of like you want to bring an extra pair of shoes if it rains or you know extra clothes in case you decide to ride the water ride so my dream product as a season long or year long product is to be able to have my own locker at a park that is just my locker i know that a lot of parks offer all season lockers where you scan your pass and it gives you a new locker that doesn't help me i want to be able to keep an extra pair of shoes in my locker and so on um so this is kind of an interesting concept, though, because theoretically, you could take everything you need, throw it into this mobile locker and kind of just let it follow you around. I mean, what would you put in it, Don? Yeah, I mean, I, I, you're not going to see guests picking it up and stealing it either way you're riding, right? So you think it's going to be heavy enough that that can't happen. But no, I mean, the idea of it, uh, you know, when you're just trying to visualize that, I mean, it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, I, I love it. Uh, I love how innovative Disney can be. And it's not so much about, you know, rides and stuff like that, because they're going to be innovative because they're in that business. But when they're in the problem solving business, as far as, you know, this is a problem that our guests have, and this is how we're going to solve it using our Imagineering team. I think that's so cool. Don't you? I do. I really do. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Up next, only two weeks left to secure your spot for an evening of networking, learning, and exploring at IAPA's Mall of America. It's on July 19th, it's 5 to 8 p.m. It's a great way to connect with industry colleagues in Bloomington, Minnesota. It's a great place if you've never been uh, to that part of the country, Mall of America, um, just a valuable networking. You know, you get to hear from IAPA leadership, you get a presentation from Nickelodeon Universe Attractions team. Uh, just a great way, if you're trying to break into the industry, I highly recommend that you do these little network opportunities that come about that you'll see uh, you know through IAPA and and other organizations uh, you know so definitely take advantage of that uh, but you uh, you need to act now because you only got two left or two weeks left to do it to register yeah yeah I agree um, now uh, you know I've been to three IAPA conventions uh, and one thing I will tell you about uh, IAPA and the industry as a whole is that people are so out to help you they just really, really are. Um, there's actually uh, you know, David, who is the uh, proprietor of the Attractions Group, who's our parent company, and I were wrapped up in a deal where we were trying to sell some digital wayfinders to a park. And we were worried because we didn't know how the finances would work. And um, there was a there's a ride manufacturer, and I'm not going to call anybody out right now, but um, you know, I was just kind of like being a tourist walking around on, on the the floor of the convention in November, you know, that, that's every November. And I just kind of vented to him very briefly, like, I don't know what to do. Uh, you know, I don't know how it works. And he actually took me into um, one of their con consultation rooms that most of the booths have and where they try to actually do sales and took time out of his day to explain to me how it works, how they finance stuff. Because, you know, when we're talking about rides, even flat rides, where it's upwards of a million dollars in a lot of cases. So uh, that, that, that situation always stuck with me. And I feel like that really embodies uh, IAPA as a whole. Um, as Don said, you know, if you're young and you want to get into the industry and you want to shake the right hands, 
uh, IAPA. There's there's no better way to do it. What's your react? What's your um interaction with IAPA been, especially before you were in the industry, Don? Um, did you ever go to the IAPA convention? Have you ever been before, actually? Yeah, I have. Uh, you know, again, a great networking opportunity. A lot of the the people that that I had become you know friends with, you know, they were there as presenters and. But yeah, I mean, there's been, uh, I, I would say probably 30, 40 years now for me of, of being familiar with, uh, you know, IAP and the different opportunities that uh, that are out there. But, you know, if you want to work in the industry, you know, definitely take advantage of any of these networking opportunities that are out there because, you, you know, it, it is a business too where uh, the more people you know, the better your chance to get in. Yeah, yeah, I can I completely agree. So IAPA, thumbs up. Again, we plan to be at the convention in November. Uh, we're gonna hopefully we'll have enough followers on YouTube. That means you guys to uh, to go live there and answer your questions, and maybe we can even do a little tour of the different booths and stuff. Because I know that there's a lot of interest around that, especially from the people wanting to get into the industry. So IAPA is if you're a fan of theme parks or even you're like theme park adjacent fans, that's the that's the coolest thing ever. Because it's everybody showcasing what's best. And there's so many more layers to pull back. There's people that make wheels, people that make buttons, people that make carpets, people, you know, it's just so much more than you think. And it's just so cool. So, yep, absolutely. So that's uh, at the Mall of America in Bloomington, Minnesota, July 19th. You have to register on IAPA.org in order to attend. So, Don, do you ever go to Cypress Gardens down in, uh, down in Florida? No, I have not been there. Okay. Uh, I have always wanted to, go, but I've never been. Yeah, there. Cypress Gardens, obviously, you know, as I'm leading into, became Legoland. Uh, and they did a really good job of merging the two things, um, you know, because they've got uh, the garden and then they've got the classic theme park, which is, you know, the original Cypress Gardens. And then they've got Legos peppered in there. Um, so Legoland's really unique. It's a, it's about an hour and a half outside of your, your Disney's and stuff like that. It's in... Um, Winter Garden or Winter Haven. I, I I couldn't get it right the last time, and I'm not going to this time. But you'll have to Google it to buy tickets anyway. But yeah, according to Spectrum News Nine, uh, they're opening a new uh, Pirate River Quest. It's going to be a pirate theme ride. First announced last year during the park's 10th anniversary celebration, scheduled to debut November 2nd. So, um, a, presumably being a pirate themed ride, it's probably going to get you wet. But November's pretty warm down there, so that works out. So uh, the storyline. For this family-friendly attraction, we'll have visitors searching for Captain Redbeard's lost treasure as they hear the tales of the rowdy pirate crew. The attraction will feature a character named Calico Jade, as well as flamingos, monkeys, and a kraken. Pirate River Quest will travel along Lake Elos in the historic Cypress Gardens area. Legoland plans to share behind-the-bricks moments about the attraction on their social media channels leading up to opening day. So... So behind the bricks, uh, you know, so we've had a lot to say about that as far as uh, brand marketing and stuff. Um, if you were going to build a plan, let's say that this thing is recognizable, but not done uh, be, to be ready for that uh, November 2nd opening. Uh, what would your marketing plan be as far as social media is concerned to keep people? So it'd be teased, but not spoil. What are your thoughts with that? I think you want to introduce the characters, you know, have everybody familiar with who they are before someone would experience the attraction. I think that always helps if you're familiar with the storyline. So you want to start with that, just making sure that, uh, you know, you, you've edu educated your audience as to, you know, what the attraction is, uh, story behind the attraction, you know, what guests can expect uh, when they go there to experience this attraction. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, they, they do a really good job. So for those of you who haven't been out there, like I said, it's a three-layer park. So it was original... Um, Cypress Gardens, which has a, a, I think it's pronounced Banyan tree, which is a tree that grows out rather than up. And it has its own like um, things that grow down to support the arms, the branches of the tree. Uh, that's so neat to see. That was my favorite part. Um, on top of that, they have like a classic wooden coaster as well as like some Lego dark rides and stuff. And they've even taken some typical rides uh, that were there before it was Legoland and like extended them and added to Lego dark ride sections. So such a such a cool park such a cool park yeah and i mean it's, it's it's going to be a fun attraction and you know we've talked about this on our past episodes you know i always love those attractions that you know, families can experience together and you know this is right up that alley and uh i 
you know, it sounds like it's going to be, you know, a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, those characters, you know, Calico Jade, I mean, you know, you look forward to seeing those and, and becoming familiar with them and uh, just something that, uh, you know, it works in terms of that family experience. That's what, what I like about it. Yeah, me too. I, I think that's really cool. And, you know, part of introducing new characters is taking the risks that people don't already have an emotional connection to them. But you also have the opportunity to create that emotional connection so you can control the narrative. Um, I really like that. Can't go wrong with pirates. Right. Pirates and Legos. That's everybody loves them until they step on them. You know, I'm talking about pirates, not Legos. I've never stepped on a Lego in my life. All right, up next, uh, Disney's Tron roller coaster. It nears completion, Ryan. This has been, uh, you know, five years ago when they first started talking about it. But uh, Imagineers, they shared a post on Instagram that uh, features three photos that serve as evidence of their progress on the newest Tomorrowland attraction. Um, you know, I, I'm looking forward to it opening, uh, not just for Tron, but for me. I want it to open so the Walt Disney Road Railroad can, can open up again. Yeah, I mean, you definitely have had an obsession with railroads that makes me uncomfortable. But um, yeah, they haven't been able to open the railroad. Uh, they actually refurbished the station and stuff like that. Um, it, it's been it was covered up when they reopened from COVID. Um, but this Tron thing looks really exciting. They they opened Guardians of the Galaxy uh, several weeks ago, which went over very very well. I know that Tron I think was opened in like Beijing or you know a resort that's not in North America. So that's, um, and you know, it went over very, very well there, but, um, you know, I think that Disney's roller coasters are almost underrated in some cases. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I've had fun on every Disney roller coaster that I've been on. Yeah. It's hard not to have fun on a Walt Disney attraction. <laughs> it's kind of a moot point in some cases, but um, yeah, I, I think that it's going to be really cool. The theme is is definitely cool. I remember hearing, I mean, I'm a little old for the Tron stuff, but I know that, you know, I've got friends with kids and they're, they're super excited about Tron and um, you know, the, the theme and so on, but you know, the Walt Disney Imagineering always does amazing work. So it's going to be really cool to see that. Um, so uh, they, did they, yeah, the, ahead we should start seeing some show elements uh you know being added and uh you know if you're down at the walt disney world magic kingdom you know you'll be able to to see more more of taking yeah i completely agree do you think that um this kind of ties into our special events thing from last week but uh do you think that having show elements uh do you think disney kind of paved the way for that where it's it's about the show rather than the ride more so you know, I think they do a good job of blending it all together. I think a lot of parks do good jobs of blending it all together. Um, you know, uh, the big takeaway that, uh, you know, guests may have from this is going to be the show elements. You know, I think maybe that's going to be your big takeaway, what you're going to remember the most, uh, because we know that that's probably going to be pretty impressive. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Now, one one thing that kind of comes to mind with that, and this isn't a roller coaster, is uh, when Universal opened uh, the, the Jimmy Fallon ride. I remember the feedback that I got was that the queue was great, but the ride was okay. Um, but the sum of all parts was an A plus, you know, because it wasn't about the ride. It was about the experience. The ride made up 10% of it. Have you, have you ridden that? Have you been down there yet to, to ride that? Yes. And you're, and you know, you're right. Uh, you know, the overall experience is an A. You know, the, the ride's good, but it's it's not the number one takeaway that you have from it. Yeah, I mean, uh, for those who haven't ridden it, it's like literally, just imagine if somebody coming to you saying like, okay, here's a 40, 50, 60, whatever the bu budget was, you know, at least 50 million, way, way more probably, and saying like, I want you to have a ride that's themed off of The Tonight Show. Good luck with that. But they did it. You walk in there and it's a, a it simulates NBC Studios. Um and they've got little displays for all the hosts of the Tonight Show, um, and then everything in there, down to the seats and where you're in the studio audience for the ride, uh, are identical to, at least to my knowledge, identical to uh, Jimmy Fallon's studio. Um, so the ride itself is a little simulator where things tilt back and forth and whatever. It's nothing to write home about. But the whole experience of waiting in line and they've got, you know, the upcoming acts that are performing you know, on a little stage while you're waiting and, you know, all the people that are acting like producers telling you it's ready to go and you're ready to go live and stuff. It, it's just so cool. Um, 
when we're down there in November for IAPA, where we hope to see plenty of you guys, um, we'll have to we'll have to check that one out because that's that's just so neat. All right, so next order of business: Six Flags over Texas pushes back Aquaman. They're uh, it's a, a aqua coaster. Um, it's a multi-launch water coaster. They pushed it back to next year, to spring of 2023. Um, so this was originally supposed to open in 2020, got pushed back because of the pandemic. Uh, we haven't heard much about it. And then here we are um, a couple years later, and they're saying 2023. Um, there's, I'm sure that there's a really good reason why they're pushing it back. Uh, probably a part of it is they're probably taking the SeaWorld route where the demand is so high now that they don't need to open a ride now. Or it could be have something to do with like um, supply chain. There could be parts that they just can't get yet. Um, so th th this is my question for you, Don, whether it's this Iron Gwazi or Pantheon, because those are the three rides that really got pushed back uh, in wake of the pandemic. Do you think that it adds anticipation when rides get pushed back? Or do you think that it takes the wind out of the sails? I think it can add to the anticipation. I mean, you have to, you only get to, to, you know, launch a ride once, make that first impression once, uh, and you got to do it at the right time. So sometimes it's better to open something, you know, three, four, five, six months, a year, you know, uh, later than you originally intended, than maybe, you know, do that five, six months too early. So you, it really comes down to, uh, you got to do what's best for, for, you know, for your park and, and what makes the most sense. And, um, you know, so like I said, sometimes it's a lot better to, you know, do it later than do it now. And, uh, you know, you still build up that anticipation, uh, but you only get that one that first impression and, you know, the climate, we're still recovering, you know, everybody in the industry from the, the pandemic and, you know, people are still, you know, getting used to, to traveling and visiting that again. So, uh, you know, I don't, you know, it, it maybe it makes more sense to do it next year. Just by that time, you know, we should be past uh, everything and, and really back uh, into, you know, more more normal like it was back in 2019 again by 2023. You know, maybe in those other situations, it wasn't there, you know, for a variety of reasons. So, uh, you, you know, there's always a reason why something, you know, legitimate reason why something doesn't open when it opens, uh, you know, it's supposed to open and it's delayed or whatever. And, uh, but it always makes the most sense to do it at the right time for you, not when everybody else wants you to open it. Because again, you only get that one chance to make that that first impression. Yeah, I completely agree. And, and um, one thing that I that I like about your response is that um, you didn't say this, but there is no right answer. You know, you guys opened Orion in twenty twenty because it was appropriate for you. Six Flags is opening um, Aquaman next year because it's appropriate for them. You know, there are reasons there. There there are very really really smart people that are analyzing this and making a decision. And again, we don't know if there's a pump or a part or pieces of track or something like that, that they can't get their hands on right now, or they'll get their hands on in November. What's the point of opening in November? You know, Six Flags Over Texas, it's warm there in the winter, but it's not water ride warm, you know? Yeah, I mean, the pandemic may seem like it's, you know, a little bit more in the rear view mirror, but, uh, you know, there are still challenges that, uh, you know, the industry is, is you know, still working to overcome, you know, associated with the pandemic and you know, we're getting closer, uh, you know, but not there yet. And it impacts a lot of different things, you know, including new ride openings. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, fortunately, uh, you know, you kind of alluded to this, but hopefully this will be the last uh, true impact of the pandemic that's directly related. Of course, there's always going to be bankruptcy sales, stuff like that, that, you know, when a company just couldn't survive. But this is obviously, you know, somehow directly related to the pandemic. And hopefully it's the last winter. So here's to that, right, Don? Right. Awesome. Cool. Well, that's our six uh, plus my, uh, well, one more time. Hold on. I'm going to put the camera on me. So make sure you tweeted us at attractions underscore GRP. If anything, to let me know what you think of my Hawaiian shirt, because I spent Twenty four ninety five on this just to um, match Don for the podcast, you know. So, <laughs> um, again, attractions underscore GRP. You can find our podcast on your favorite podcasting apps. That's Apple, Google, Spotify, and so on. Just search for the Attractions Group.
Um, make sure you follow us on YouTube. Again, one of our initiatives that we really want to do here soon is uh, to go live and answer your questions. And if you guys want to, you know, make fun of us or, you know, have fashion design uh, recommendations on our future uh, Hawaiian shirts, then that would obviously be welcome. But um, yeah, so follow us on YouTube and uh, follow us on your favorite podcast apps. And again, we really appreciate your support through all of this. Don, any final thoughts for the week? No, another fun discussion uh, that we had today. We hope our audience enjoyed it as much as you and I did talking about it. And uh, you know, we've got, uh, like we mentioned in our first uh, couple of episodes, that in progress we're still playing with the format. Uh, we wanted to do a number of pilot episodes before we really uh, take the next step, and that will include having special guests on. And I think we're really going to enjoy that point, uh, you know, our audience and, and both us, Ryan, when we start to get to that point where we have those special guests joining us. Yeah, I mean, to be clear, one of the things that uh, we've got a long list of uh, subject matters with experts that we're pretty sure we could get on the podcast. Um, but we didn't want to bore somebody that's very important with, you know, our little technical problems and stuff like that. Fortunately, uh, you know, showing you a little bit behind the curtain. I mean, Don, you can agree that. We, we've had, I know that the last episode had some audio issues and we've had to start over a few times as all podcasts do, but overall, this has gone a lot more smoothly than I kind of anticipated it would, hasn't it? Oh, it has. Oh, it has. A lot more uh, smooth than, than I anticipated. Neither one of us had ever really ever ventured into the, the podcast world outside of just being on as a guest somewhere. Uh, so to, you know, when, when you look at this, you know, we're the board op, we're the ones, the camera ops, everything else. Uh, you know, it's a two-man show here doing that. So, yeah, it's absolutely gone a lot smoother than I thought uh, it would have begun. Yeah, I mean, just as an example is, uh, you know, if you're watching the YouTube version, you'll notice that uh, we're cutting camera angles. And when Don's talking, it's him on the screen. And when I'm talking, it's me on the screen. And, you know, we got different graphics and stuff. The reason why we didn't have that is because I didn't know how to do that until, like, two hours ago. Okay? So, um Yes, and with the podcast, it adds to your skill set. Uh, so there's a great advantage there of doing this together that we're adding to our skill sets. Yeah. So if any, uh, you know, you know, Fortune 500 company wants us to make a podcast about their industry, which we're not experts on whatsoever, we're more than happy to do that for a fee. <laughs> so again, attractions underscore GRP. Follow us on your favorite podcast apps. Follow us on YouTube. We want to go live. We want to answer your questions. Any feedback is welcome. Uh, once again, my name is Ryan Sir. With me, as always, is Don Helbig, and we will see you next week. <laughs>